0: We're continuing where we left off. Uh, It is uh, July 12th, 2020. And we're continuing with the thought of the week and prayer.
1: The thought of the week, the subject is dishonoring to God. A lazy attitude regarding the mystery is dishonoring to God. A lazy ad- attitude toward any revelation from God dishonors him. A lack of humility gives rise to arrogance, and you may end up with an attitude where you think of yourself more highly than you ought. Romans 12:3. Jesus makes this observation about us after his resurrection. He said to them, how foolish are you. And how slow of heart to believe that the prophets, all that the prophets have spoken, Luke twenty four twenty five. I say he makes a point to us because we are just like those disciples on the road to Manus. All of us have built an arrogance toward the things of God. This attitude is the result of Adam's sins that we need to be aware of when it complete when it completes competes for our attention we have to understand this from god's perspective god tells this information from eternity past this information is gigantic i have to emphasize how large this is because of the details given to us and the impact it has on the world before god gave the Mosaic Law, there was no greater revelation in the world. The Mosaic Law was profound, astounding, detailed, and revealing of God in ways that the world has not seen. Not only was it comprehensive, but it was in writing. Today we still look at this revelation at that revelation. To learn more of God's thoughts and ways. The mystery was also reduced to writing and is time to reach the people for which it has been destined. First Corinthians chapter two, verse seven. The mystery is larger than the Mosaic law. It is greater and more telling of character of the character of God. The mystery reveals the deep things of God, First Corinthians chapter two, verse 10. God has given us His eternal purposes. Ephesians three, chapter eleven. He has revealed the extent and dimensions for His love for us, Ephesians chapter three, verse 18. For us to ignore neglect. Disregard or refuse to receive this new information is to dishonor God. For God to bear his soul to us like this. For us to turn our shoulder away from his will. Purpose and plans is blatantly insulting. Let us embrace the mystery and pray that we see everything God intends. And that is our thought of the week, and the Dwight will bring forth our prayer.
2: Thank you very much, Fred. Uh, I appreciate you doing that. And I didn't. I would like to offer a commentary on what we just read. Um, what that thought of the week really pertains to is Christians living a Christian life and having the uh, volition to dishonor God by their laziness and their attitude when so much information has been revealed to us. But for those who are not saved, that is not necessarily the bad news. The bad news, unfortunately, is, is even worse, that none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. For all have turned aside together. They have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. And that's from Romans chapter 3, verses 10 to 12. And it would seem like it is a hopeless situation, but in verse 21 we read, But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. There is no distinction for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So the good news is great because it's such a sharp contrast. Not only do we not perish when we believe in Christ, but we also have eternal life. And that eternal life is where we live by choice in the knowledge and revelation of god our father so let me go ahead and offer the prayer as well i will certainly pray for all our immediate and ex- extended families and include including our adoptive family whether that's formal or oh. informal adoption. Um, are there any other special requests that anybody would like to add
0: uh i know fred had uh the request for his family in particular, and also um, for the universal church, the church universal. Absolutely. All
2: right. Well, if there's none other, I will go ahead and continue with offering a prayer on our behalf.
0: Oh, wait a minute, one more. Aren't you opening Monday? So Carol is opening her school on Monday which is tomorrow so mm-hmm. asking for prayer uh, that everything goes according to plan
2: okay all right thank you all right let us bow our heads before god dear father in heaven and in us through your spirit by way of christ i pray on behalf of all of us on this call and all of us associated with borders truth church knowing that we uh seek diligently seek your truth and your word knowing that your word is true i pray specifically for fred's family um and you know these the exact causes you know everything about us and you know what is most important as well and um and what is including what is dear to our hearts so you have told us in the old testament that if we Uh, delight in you that you would give us the desires of our heart so let let those desires be known to you and um, I also pray for our immediate families and extended families whether saved or not Um, there is work to be done in the hearts of of those that we know I would like to pray for Word of Truth Church and that we continue to have take advantage of the opportunities that we have to use technology and um in our own volition <clears throat> to to diligently seek you to discover the truth and discover the richness, the unsearchable riches um, that are hidden in Christ and destined for our glory. I pray also for the church worldwide that believers from every nation all over the globe are one in the body of Christ just as we are. They are they are our brothers and sisters. And let us let us have a heart of compassion for them as well. And I pray also um, for Carol opening the school and all the participants involved in that. Um, I pray that, you know, in the midst of these coronavirus, that there is safety that can be kept um, in in that environment and that it it is beneficial for those that uh, participate and yet safe at the the same time. We realize and, and, especially in light of this pandemic, how fragile life can be. And we know that only by your hand are, are our lives of health, We pray these things in Christ's name.
0: Amen. Amen. Thank you, Dwight and Fred. We are going to move forward. Uh, you have notes, hopefully. And in your notes, we're going right to it. Uh, John 14:24 is our verse today. It reads, anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. So in your notes, we are not born again automatically loving God. It is a matter of spiritual growth and coming to love him. Love's result of obedience is important here since it is our proper response to God. Jesus was very practical practical on this very point, quote, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do, and do not do the things or what I say? There is a matter of submitting to the Lord before we can benefit from his instruction, guidance, and shepherding care. When we see that Jesus submitted to the Father in obedience, we can see how it is properly done. Jesus was Himself called to fulfill the Father's purposes. If He failed in His mission, we would not be here today. Loving God is the essence of our service. Within our love is our humility, knowledge, internal commitment, and willful obedience to the Lord. Love is a mature, informed choice we make in the light. So. Hopefully you have your notes and this is, uh, we're going to try to get through uh, the verse before us, which is verse 24. So we're going to take it phrase by phrase. So anyone who does not love me. So this is Jesus speaking and Jesus is saying that, uh, which is the converse of the other verse that we talked about, verse 23. Um, So just to note, before we get into that thought, when he says anyone who does not love me, he's really talking about believers. This is among believers. So just like in the previous verse where he says, uh, if you love me, he's talking about believers. He's not talking about unbelievers. And conversely, uh, it is possible for believers to not love Christ. And he says, anyone who does not love me. And uh, we notice this because he dismissed Judas in the uh, previous chapter, chapter 13. So he was only talking to believers at this point. So let's get into the first thought. We We witness the results of anyone who loves me in verse 23. And we saw they were grand results. I mean... It was as if God were giving us a promise. That's exactly what was happening. He says, "If you love, if you love me, you will obey what I teach, and then uh, my Father will love you, and then <clears throat> we will come to you and make our home with you." And that's a definitely uh, intriguing promise for all of us. So when you think about that, He's now giving. The reverse of that. Well, anyone who does not love me, what about them? Well, what's about them? So that's what we'll explore, the opposite, right, of verse 23. Moving on, the clearest way to see love is its resulting obedience. Now, you know, I struggle with this. And the reason why I struggle with this whole understanding of love is because it is found so many times in scripture and a lot of <clears throat> what is spoken of is, is difficult to condense or codify love in a few sentences here and there. So what I try to do is instead of trying to figure out some grand scheme of what love is and then apply that to all the scriptures about love What I'm going to do is allow the scriptures to tell me what it means when it's talking about love. And what we find here is very simple, very practical. Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my teachings. You will obey my teachings. That's pretty clear. That's pretty simple. So instead of us trying to redefine love for all the scriptures, let's let the scriptures tell us what it means and how it means so the clearest way to see love is, is its resulting obedience now if you go if you're already in John chapter 14 we'll just look at a couple scriptures of what he means in context right so 14:15 is the is the first thought if you love me keep my commands right or better said if you love me you will keep my commands uh, that's the first thought. So this is the context of what we're talking about. And the commands that he's been talking to them about is uh, the teachings of when he leaves, he's going to be going away. They know the way to the Father. Right? And believe me that the Father is in me and so forth. That's the context. But he's been teaching them this prior to that. We kind of gathered that from the first few verses. If this were not so, would I have told you this? And You know the way, and you know the, the Father, and from now on you do know him, right? Obviously, this is not the first time Jesus taught such things. So, the disciples, what we're realizing, had a problem believing Jesus when he spoke in this way. So this is why he goes through the back and forth. He says, well, I know you love me already. I know that. So uh, I need you to express your love for me in obedience. right? So that's 14, 15. And then we already read 21, right? 21 is where we were. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me is the... Notice the reverse. If you love me, you will keep my commands. If you're keeping my commands, then you're, you're the one who loves me. Notice, forwards and backwards, it's very simple. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. So he's saying, <clears throat> with, in regard to loving him, if we accept what he's saying, right? him and the Father, If we accept what Jesus is saying, then the, the Father will love us. And Jesus is saying, and I will love you too. And then furthermore, he tells us, he will come and show himself to us. That's pretty astounding. So love is, if we love him and we're keeping his commands, then he will love us and the father will love us and they will show themselves to us this is what we get and clarification how will you how you do this Judas says to us how do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world verse 23 anyone who loves me again we're back at love again what will they do obey my teaching my father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them so We can note that there's a timeline. We already went through the death, burial, resurrection, ascension, accession, and then the Father sending the Holy Spirit. We already went through all of that. But the love that the disciples had had to have been there already. So that's 23, 24. And then there's verse 28 in John 14. You've heard me say, I am going away, and I am coming back to you. If you loved me, you would be glad that I am going to the Father and the, the Father, for the Father is greater than I am. So remember how this chapter started. They were sad, right? they were upset, but Jesus is beginning to tell them, "Don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in Me." And then He goes into all the chapter. But notice. He's saying, you heard me say, I'm going away. Right? That made you sad. But really, if you loved me, you'd be glad. And notice the reversal of how uh, you, you think it's bad that I'm going away. You're sad that I'm leaving you. But really, it's going to be better. Because the Holy Spirit is going to come. And we already said, uh, our, you know, verses 21, 23 three, you know, 20, all those verses talk about what would happen if we love him, if we're devoted to him. So, so that's important to note. Um, and then there's other verses, 31, Jesus tells us, but, the, but when he comes, so that the world may learn that I love the Father, and I do exactly what the Father has commanded me, come now, let us leave. So Jesus is saying, even though he taught from, the Father was telling him what to say and how to say it, and authority was the Father, the Father was in Christ, even though all that was true, Jesus had a will as well. Where was Jesus' will? Here it is here. He says, I love the Father, and I do exactly as the Father has commanded me. So Jesus understood that he was under a plan, that he was... Had commands over his life a calling that he had to fulfill and he did fulfill that Uh, and that was very clear when we see his obedience Uh, as a result of it we are all here today as believers and then John 15 I'm going to go to John chapter 15 and this is verses 9 through 14 so more understanding about love and its resulting obedience 15 9 as the father has loved me so I have loved you so in the same way the father has loved me so I have loved you Jesus is saying remain in my love if you keep my commands you will remain in my love just as I have kept my father's commands and remain in his love So we can see that this is very practical in our our understanding. Uh, The commands have to do with the new teaching that was given. Now there's emphasis on this because it was different from what they formerly held. The disciples, like I said, this information about what Jesus was teaching was not in their theological books. It wasn't there the mystery was not revealed in the Old Testament no rabbis or priests or you know teachers of the law or anyone understood the mystery doctrine when so when Jesus talked about it it was pristine it was new to their ears so there was extra encouragement upon them to believe it just this beginning of John 14 Jesus says you believe in God, believe also in me. So in this case, they had problems in believing it because of those reasons I already gave. But notice, Jesus is setting the stage. My, verse 11, I have told you this, so this is John fifteen eleven. I have told you this, so that my joy may be in you, and your joy may be complete my command is this love each other as i have loved you greater so notice the two types of love that we talked about earlier when we identified love one was love each other and that was for the disciples sticking together being one having a oneness around the things that we just talked about the mystery staying together no matter what and the second one was was loving him with regard to the new teaching right so the so stick together and you got the new teaching right those are the two things that your love should express obedience toward so so then again here it is verse 12 uh, my command is this love each other as i have loved you greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for his for one's friends you are my friends if you do what i command i no longer call you servants because a servant does not know what his master's business instead i have called you friends for everything that i have learned from my father i have made known to you and it goes on but just notice there is a reciprocal love right so if we love God, if we come to the place where we love God, there are things that God has promised us, uh, and that's important to note. And so that's what we've come away understanding from John 20 through 23. Now we're in 24. So, and then there's um, verse 17 in this regard, which he reiterates, this is my command, love each other. So, so loving each other and the new teaching was important for him, to, for, for us, and uh, to realize. So moving on, point C. Hypocritical love is simply lip service. So Matthew 15 is the scripture, not that we haven't been here before, but we're talking about hypocritical love. So, in in the scripture, anyone who does not love me, obviously, these are probably not believers. They're unbelievers. But notice, verse 7, you hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. And this is important for us to, to realize because of the practicality of what Jesus is telling us on the other side of this. Hey, if you love me, <laughs> you you will follow what I'm teaching you, and you will stick together. Those are two things that are important. And then there's Luke 6.46. Um, we covered this before in the past. So Luke 6, I'll just read it. I think it's good to read. 6.46 says... Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Um, I think that's pretty clear. I don't know how much I can add to that. Uh, Isaiah said it's hypocritical to give lip service, to, to say one thing out of your lips, and then in your heart you got a whole nother thought. And the result that we can see in point D. Is not everyone who claims to love Jesus or God actually does. That's what we can come to conclude. Uh, Even from what we are seeing biblically. I mean, from the Bible, we are seeing scriptures where Jesus walked and he discovered that people said one thing, but really, they didn't love him. They weren't necessarily obedient to him. So, it is... Anyone who does not love me, Jesus says, well, there are some results. And we saw what the results are. Clearly, they would not stay together because they were disobeying his commands. And they did not adhere to the doctrines that were before them. Point E, it is possible to fall out of love. And I'm using Revelation 2.4 for that. You probably know this. This is the church... In Ephesus, uh, we love reading the book of Ephesians. but The church in Ephesus says this. Uh, well, <clears throat> there's a lot that it could say, but I'm just going to read what he says. I hold against you, in verse four. Yet I hold this against you: you have forsaken the love you had at first. And now, now listen to this. It's not like they just first became believers and then they love God. Remember, we said love is not just because you've been born again. It's spiritual growth. It takes some time to come to love. So in verse, when it says, um, if we look at uh, Ephesus, look at verse 3. You have persevered and endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. And then he says, yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and will remove your lampstand from its place. But so notice there's, they had some problems in, in Ephesus. And it wasn't, you know, no problem at all. They But they had some good things about them and there were some things that were not so good. So, in Ephesians chapter one, uh, I read verse fifteen for this reason, ever since I heard about your faith and love and in the Lord Jesus, and your love for all God's people. I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. So Ephesus was doing great things, they had come to a point where they were loving the brethren, they understood they were one body, but then Paul continues in verse 17. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance and his holy people. So, you know, we're talking about the mystery here. And this is. So two things they needed. They needed that first part where they loved each other and they felt the camaraderie and the oneness of and the uniqueness of the body that they were in. But they also needed a a clear understanding of what the teaching, the mystery was. So Paul is saying, I keep praying. I'm going to be on my knees praying for you that you get this, and that this becomes a part of who you are as well. This becomes the hope of your calling, right, that you might understand this. So it's possible to fall out of love. I'm just a little play on words here. But just to note, just because you did love God and you were firing on all cylinders, as, as we say, doesn't mean that you can't uh, lose that love for God. Obviously, it would be some distraction from the world or people or, or something that would cause you to stop. And as we saw in the churches, there were reasons that he gave as to why they had fallen as well. So it's possible. Point number two, let's move on in our notes. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. So this is very clear. It's what we've been trying to, to say the whole time. First thought, the disciples loved Jesus. And it was demonstrated by their obedience following him for over three years so we can't say that the disciples did not love jesus Uh, it it was important to note this because others did not follow jesus they would not believe that he was the christ the son of the living god and john chapter 6 we see that many turned away even though they were said to be disciples they were following the lord wherever he went and so forth but but when Christ turns and began to relate some spiritual information a lot of them turned away and left they they would not follow christ anymore they were murmuring and mumbling to themselves and disputing about some of the things he taught and they just couldn't get with it and they turned their backs on christ and left that's when christ turned to the disciples and said "Uh, so you too are you going to leave as well and they said, no, you have the words of life. There's nowhere else to go. They had the right response. So the disciples did love Jesus. That's my estimation of how they behaved. They left their businesses and homes and wives and children. And, and everything they thought was valuable. And they followed Christ. And um, I don't know if anyone can take that away. So at the end of this first point, I say, however, point B, their love was put to the test. Obedience to the mystery teaching as Jesus introduced it. And this is, if you look at some of the questions they had when Jesus began to teach, if we go back to John uh, 14, this is the context. Here are some of their responses 5 14 5 says Thomas said to him Lord we don't know where you are going so how can we know the way so Jesus answered and he began to teach but notice before that and four he says you know the way to the place where I am going now why would he say that unless he had taught this on other occasions. And the disciples probably heard this, but they didn't believe it. So, you know, it happens when you hear and you don't believe, eventually (laughs) you lose it. It doesn't become a part of you, or it doesn't stick, as it were. So, because that means you didn't believe it. Disciples didn't believe this. And and Jesus called them on it. He says, You know the way. And Thomas says, We don't know the way. We don't know where you're going. And how can we possibly, I'm putting the word possibly in there, know the way? So, and also in verse um, 8, so Philip said, Lord, and this is in response to Jesus saying, If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. Listen, from now on, <laughs> You do know him and have seen him. And the way I've translated that is Jesus is a little bit frustrated here. And when he says from now on, he's saying for the record, here it is now. I'm telling you this. You do know him and you have seen him. I have talked to you about this. Philip says in response to that, Lord, show us the father and that will be enough for us <laughs> not that you have told us many times show us the father and that will satisfy us well then we'll sit back and say okay we now believe it and notice they have problems they have problems so this is why uh jesus comes back in verse nine don't you know me philip even after i have been among you such a long time or in verse 10, don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? Or in verse 11, believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. So this tells me they did not believe it. It didn't, be, it didn't say that they didn't believe that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of the living God. It, didn't, it doesn't bear on the fact that they were saved. But what problem did they have? They refused to believe the mystery. Yeah, their love was put to the test. So that's why he was saying, hey, you've been following me for three years. You obviously love me. If you love me, you will will do what I tell you to do. Even if you don't understand what I... If you don't believe it, believe on the evidence of the works themselves. You know these things are so. That's verse 11. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves so you you should be believing based on what you have seen and heard this is what jesus is telling them of course this is not to say the disciples had problems and that you know this was a problem because they got it together. They figured it out. And we stand on the foundation of apostles and prophets with Jesus as the chief cornerstone. Isn't it wonderful that we don't just have, and the church was was built and it thrived and went straight on up to heaven. No, we have the details of what happened in the church. The struggles in the early church. The racism. In the early church, we have all of that to, for, so we can look at and we could hope hope to not repeat their mistakes. But you know, mistakes or no mistakes, you know what they got it together, and the record is that they did figure it out. So we have yet to say that, right? The, the last word has not been written on us. So point C. We may be saved, but our obedience to the mystery demonstrates our love for Christ. Now, this is just like the disciples. We're in the situation. How do, What happens when we say we love them is we are saying we love the Father's plan. that The Father showed up in Jesus and was teaching them. And they were saying, I don't know if I believe that. It's, it's not in the theology books that i have on my shelf. i don't know about that that's not what i heard they were saying that to jesus who had done and demonstrated uh, who he was miraculously for three and a half years so how did they demonstrate their obedience jesus said by believing the things i'm telling you by you believe anyone who loves me well they'll obey my teaching right that's how it is same thing with us you may be saved, yes, but love comes as a mature, uh, stamp from a, 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 a standpoint of maturity as you grow, and you're able to understand the mystery and be obedient toward it. So first couple scriptures, 1 Corinthians 2.9, which you have heard many times from me, i'll read it again first corinthians chapter 2 and verse 9 says however as it is written what no eye has seen what no ear has heard what no human mind has conceived the things god has prepared for those who love him so there we have love him right the love it has results For those who love him will understand things that eyes have not seen, ears have not heard, neither have they entered into the heart of man. That's the teaching we have. That is what we... Look at verse 13. This is what we speak. Not in words taught us by human wisdom, but words taught us by the Spirit. And that's the Spirit of truth. Explaining spiritual realities with Spirit-taught words. So... This is what we're talking about, things that eyes have not seen. This is the mystery, which was not revealed, was not given to uh, man or angels prior to the time it being released or Christ introducing it. So it's important that we we see it that way. And then there's Romans 8.28 as well, which you've read a hundred times. I don't know if it's more... I've read it a lot Romans eight twenty eight says this and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose notice who love him now the who love him is if you have to go back and, and relate that to some place and we know those first three words how do we know because we love him how do we how does that jive with the first corinthians 2 9 passage where it says "Eyes have not seen the things that eyes haven't seen ears haven't heard so forth uh to those who love him right they will understand those things here in romans eight twenty eight, same thing we understand how god is working all things together for our good right that's how we ought to see this we are we, we may be saved by our obedience to the but the mystery demonstrates our love for Christ so if a person is saved right now but then they keep uh, thinking that the church is just an extension of Israel or they keep thinking that uh, Israel is, really what it, we should be teaching now and we should understand and, and just uh, give stories of uh, Moses and David and, and Daniel and, and use the Bible in an allegorical way and say, hey, see what Daniel did and see how that relates to what's happening in your life today. And, you know, they, they teach along those lines. When really, we need to be teaching about the mystery, the deep things of God, which were not even found in the Old Testament. They were hidden from them. Yet, you have people teaching those things as the wisdom for the church. You know what it demonstrates? It demonstrates that they may be saved, but they do not love God. This is why I wrote such a blistering statement in the thought of the week. You know, it's dishonoring to God. When he has moved to the church and you are stuck in Israel and you refuse to allow him to speak, God is God. If you love him, then you will follow what he is saying. Point D, let's move forward. We may claim to love God, but if our love refuses to follow God's greatest revelation, uh, we are refusing to obey the spirit of truth that's what that says and 1 Corinthians 2:14 says exactly that right 1 Corinthians 2:14 says the person without the spirit meaning without the spirit's teaching and knowledge where the spirit is, understands the deep things of God and right they doesn't they do not accept the things that come from the spirit of God but considers them foolishness. And we're not talking about unbeliever here. We're talking about a believer who refuses to accept what happened at Pentecost. They see its foolishness. And listen, a lot of people in the early church, this is what they thought. They said, oh, no way will we disband Israel and the law and all the circumcision and all that stuff. We're not changing our way we are going to continue with Israel yes we believe that Jesus is the Messiah but we will not believe in the mystery so I just wanted to show that how that relates to what the disciples were faced with and where that conversation came from it started with the disciples when Jesus first introduced the mystery and their reaction to it was I don't think so Lord I think you're wrong this is not going to happen to you. In fact, all these things that you're talking about, you're going away. That's not what our theology book says. Our theology book says we will reign with you. And can I sit on your right and can I sit on your left and, and, and had the mother of, of two of them asking? Christ, is this... Can you imagine him walking up to Christ and asking this question? And Christ, on the other hand, saying... I'm going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to be beaten, spit upon, killed. But on the third day, I'll rise from the dead and ascend to the Father. So, notice the disparity between what they were were thinking. It was huge, not just, oh, slightly different. If you just adjust your thinking just a little bit. No, it was completely divergent thinking. So, Back to the notes. If you refuse, you're refusing the spirit of truth. That's what was happening in 1 Corinthians 2.14. Point E. Components of love. So let's just talk about some of the components of love. Humility. Why why do I say humility? You have to be open to teaching. If you don't have humility, that means you're stuck. Religious people lack humility. They learn, they may learn some truth, but God is ready to move and show them something else. And they were like, no, nope, I'm not going there. I'm stuck where I'm at. And this is what I've learned. I don't know about you. I don't know about that. But I do know this and this is it. Or they may have made some idol and set it up and then they worship it and nobody can tell them any different. This is God to them. They have no humility. And this is what was wrong with the Pharisees. right? They... Jesus, who was the Messiah, was walking in their midst, and they refused to see him. Even though all the signs and wonders and miracles, everything that Christ did, testified to who he was. John said Jesus did many other things which are not written in this book. But these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And by believing, you may have life in his name. They knew the testimony, and they still refused to believe in Christ. What instead did they do? They said, crucify him, crucify him. So humility is a huge part. You have to be open to God's leading. But just like with the scripture we read in, in John 16, Jesus, I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will guide you. You don't know the way of truth. He will guide you in all truth. There's much more to tell you. And you, there's more to the story. You have to have enough humility to follow God. Humility leads to knowledge. Within love is knowledge you you're not just blindly following god you know him because you had the humility to follow him and you know you have grown like it says growing grace and in the knowledge of our lord and savior jesus christ so love allows and spurs growth in those areas you come to know the will of God. You come to know the mystery, the deep things of God. Right? So we're, that's where you love, and you love God. And you, what it is to say is not only do you love God, but you love his plan. That's what we're doing down here is because of his plan. And then willful submission. That's a component of love. It's, it's not to say, you know, like a, you know, a slave has to obey because he has to, right? Or else if he, he could be beaten. He could be, you know, he could be killed. But love says, I want to submit. And Paul turned that whole thing around. Like he said, we were slaves to our sin nature, how we had did, you know, did the things that we were, we were by nature, objects of wrath. And he said that we were slaves. But then he says once the church age came and we have the baptism of the spirit, we are set free from that. We are no longer slaves to sin. We, we, we necessarily should be now obedient to righteousness. But Paul turned that around and he says, now I'm a slave. I was a slave to sin, but now I'm a slave to righteousness. Now, he's, he's not saying he has to do righteousness. But now he's saying, I willingly, as a bond slave, I want to do what is righteous. So this is what I mean by willful submission. It's what you want. So right now, you, in believing, you may say, well, I believe what that's, the word of God says. I believe that. I don't, you know, I'll follow that because I believe that's what God said. But, but love takes it up another level. Love says, not only do I, I, I believe it, but I understand what God's doing. I understand the Father's plan. I know what God wants of me. I know what I'm doing down here, and I accept it. I embrace it, and I willingly submit to it. And then there's commitment and obedience. So the commitment says, I, I intend, it is my purpose here, to fulfill the Father's plan. I guess who else has that uh, motive? That the Father does. Christ does. The Holy Spirit does. And hopefully pastors and teachers do. Hopefully you do. I mean, th- there's a commitment. Uh, that is the giving of ourselves. To the Father's plan. And obedience. That's the, the giving. Our, so commitment and obedience go together. So I, I will just give this last, not last, but one, um, John chapter 21, again, simply illustrated by Jesus. What is meant by love here. It's twenty-one fifteen through 17. You know the story. I've said that a lot. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Now, more than these, he's not talking about the other disciples. He's talking about the fish they just caught. Yeah, and and, and what's, so that's what Jesus was saying. Do you love me more than these fish? Because remember, Jesus uh, had gone and come back. And what did they do? They went fishing again. They went back to their business. And, yes, Lord, this is Peter's response. He said, you know that I love you, Jesus said, feed my lambs. So notice there is a response to love, right? Love, commitment, the humility to understand, right? The knowledge, right? And then the, the commitment and obedience, feed my lambs that's what you got to do peter again verse 16 jesus said simon son of john do you love me now it's not do you love me more than these more than your profession your business right now simon son of john do you love me he answered yes lord you know that i love you right in other words i've been following you you know i've committed to you you know I've learned and I've accepted you as the Messiah, right? So Jesus said to him, Take care of my sheep. If you love me, then this is what you should be doing. Taking care of my sheep. Third time, he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Same question he asked of him in verse 16. He asked of him in verse 17. So when you when you get the same question, either you answered it incorrectly, or something you are doing contradicts your answer. You say you love me, but in the same token, you just departed and you went your own way. That's what you did. You just left and departed from the way and you went your own way. And now I'm asking you, do you love me? Then if we're asking the question, what does it mean to love him? I think we are getting our answer through Peter here. What are we doing in this? Now, I'm not going to go through the whole application of that, but it's just something for us to think about. What are we doing? What way are we going? Are we, do we love him? Is Jesus telling us this three times? Do you love me? And he said, this is the, the last, at the last, he says, Peter was hurt. Because Jesus asked him a third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things, and you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. And I think it's very telling how Peter had his ups and downs. And we have the benefit of looking at the scriptures and seeing the ups and downs. That Peter went through. Peter was at one point. Lord I'll die for you. That's how much I love you. I will give my life for you. I'm willing to do that. If, that, if it comes down to that. I'm willing to die. That, I think that was the heart. Of the disciples who followed him. They abandoned everything. For Jesus. That's why when they saw. Jesus dying on the cross. It crushed them. They had to figure out uh, how they would maintain and live in this world with all of their hopes, dreams, ambitions dashed. So that's what happened to the disciples. That's how, you know, so this whole thought of love in John 14 and 15 and all what we're reading about here has a definite meaning for us. Do you love the mystery? Is it part of your way? Do you understand that it is the calling that you have received? That is your destiny. Do, do you get it? Right? Like Paul got it when he says, "I am, even though I'm the least of all God's saints, this grace has been given to me. preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. And to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery. Which for ages past was kept hidden in God. So Paul understood that. He understood it was who he was in this world. And what his mission was. And how if he was going to fulfill it. And walk worthy of the calling. What he needed to do. How he needed to walk. So those are important things to note, right? Uh, Those components to love. And there, there may be more. I may redesign these, but essentially these are a part of what love is. Point number three, we're moving on. So Jesus says, anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. Point number three says, these words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father. Who sent me. So the first thought is these words. Jesus is teaching especially in the context. His introduction to the mystery. That's what these words are. When he says these words you hear. Are not my own. So that's the first thing to know. He's talking about the mystery. It's not some other lesson on Israel or Moses. Point number B. They're not my own. So Jesus came in the image of the Father. So how do we understand that? So I'm going to go through it quickly. Luke 10.22. Uh, let's look at some verses. 10.22 says, All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one, no one knows who the Son is except the Father. And no one knows who the Father is except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. So these are important scriptures for us to think about, because it shows how Christ received Sonship from the Father. And what does that mean? Everything that I have belongs to the Father. Everything that the Father has belongs to me. We talked about it from the standpoint of mutual possession. Everything that Christ has, the Father possessed. His presence on earth, the will that was uh, Jesus's. Christ, the the Father possessed Christ in all of those things, and the teaching of the mystery and all of that. That's the Father's. The mystery is the Father's plan given to Christ. So that's and then there's um I said I was gonna go quickly, I know. So John 1.18, this is Christ coming in the person of the Father. 118 says, No one has ever seen God, but the only one, the one and only Son, who is himself God, and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. So nobody has seen God the Father. And when it says this information, he's referring to this information that we are talking about. The mystery. And the Father has never shown his hand before. But now you are seeing the Father's heart. What are we talking about? The eternal purposes. The thoughts and intentions of his heart. We are seeing that. And no one has ever seen that. But Jesus has now come as the Son to make it known. He is in the bosom of the Father. It means he is so close in relationship to the Father that everything that the Father has belongs to him. And everything he has belongs to the Father. Moving forward. Oh, there's more. And then there's... um. 12 47 to 50 this is john we're still in john chapter 12 47 to 50 it says it this way if anyone hears the words hears my words but does not keep them i do not judge that person for i did not come to judge the world but to save the world there is a judge For the one who rejects me and does not accept my words, the very words I have spoken will condemn them at the last day. For I did not speak on my own, but my Father who sent me commanded me to say all that I have spoken. I know that his command leads to eternal life. So whatever I say is just what the Father has told me to say. We're talking serious words from the Lord here. Words of judgment. What will happen at the last day? Who will judge? How will people be saved or lost? That's how important the words Jesus, what He came to do, His mission, and what He did. Importance. And then uh, John sixteen fifteen. 16, 15 says, All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said, The Spirit will receive from me and will make it known to you. Now it puts us in relationship to not only what Christ has from the Father, but what we are authorized to have as well because of our relationship with Christ. This is what we now have. And that's what Jesus is telling us in those chapters. And you know, Colossians 1, where it says straight out, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He's talking about the Father there. And in Hebrews 1, 1, 1.3, it says also that, Well, I, I'd like to turn to that one. Why don't we turn to Hebrews passage. Hebrews 1, Three. The Son is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of his majesty, of the majesty in heaven. So, So again, Christ is the exact, what is image? Exact representation of his being. In other words, Christ fully represents who the Father is rarely can we get someone to get us completely, to represent us completely. But Christ is able to do that for the Father. And the Father, what does he say? He says, this is my Son. In him, I am well pleased. It's what he is saying and doing here on my behalf. That's me. So uh, those are scriptures that tell us about how who Jesus was how he came in the image of the Father, how the Father was the teaching that represented the mystery. So now, in the church age, we not only recognize Jesus, who is the God of Israel, but we represent the Father, or we we recognize the Father as well. Many scriptures in the New Testament now speak of the Father. And we... Uh, Even where it talks about us receiving the spirit and crying out father So in the introduction to Ephesians it says Paul an apostle of, of Christ Jesus by the will of God to God's holy people in Ephesus the faithful in Christ Jesus and he says grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ So we acknowledge The understanding of the progression of where our calling came from. He chose us. Who's he? The Father. Chose us in him, in Christ, before the creation of the world. So, a couple of other passages of scripture to note. Uh, In point C of our notes, Jesus answered, anyone who has seen me has seen the father this is in the very context of what we're saying that's John 14:9 and then um, verse 12 as well and uh, oh this is uh, chapter 12 44 and 45 I, I we already know the the one in John I'll read the one in chapter 12 John chapter 12. 44 and 45 says, Then Jesus cried out, Whoever believes in me does not believe in me only, but in the one who sent me. The one who looks at me is seeing the one who sent me. That's how closely Jesus mirrored or imaged the Father. He says, if you see me, well, that's in our our verse too. You have seen the father. Anyone who has seen me has seen the father. That's how much the father was in Christ. Point D, the words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the father, notice, living in me, who is doing the work. Now, notice, you might say, what's the work? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. You would think it would say, yeah, it was the Father who was speaking the words through me. But notice the language. Rather, it is the Father living in me. See, that part, living, if you love me, you keep my commands, you you obey my teaching, and I will come to you and be at home, or I will be living in you. That's the same thing we have. The Father is living in us is recognition of our love for his teachings. Hence, he is able to be at home in us and live in us. So, point E, we're closing. That God, and this is 2 Corinthians 5, 19. That God, and that's God the Father was reconciling the world to himself in christ not counting people's sins against them and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation as we have studied that but i just wanted to make sure we understood that when we saw all that was happening in the gospels that was the father right in christ it wasn't The will of Christ. Christ was fully in submission. Where was Christ? His will was hidden in the Father. What will did you see on earth? You saw the Father in Christ. Reconciling the world to himself. We're going to have to quit. I know our time is gone. But we will continue next week with these thoughts. And hopefully we'll be challenged as we look over these notes as well. Let's bow our heads. Thank you, Father, for the privilege of being called to this age for this particular time. We're glad to be here. We pray that we will have the kind of love that you seek and be the kind of worshipers that you seek, those who worship in spirit and in truth. We pray for uh, each person who is on this call and associated with this church. We pray for the church universal. Lord, you know what is on our heart, so we pray for those things as well. Asking that you will bring us back again next week so we can continue to learn more about your grace, your love, and knowledge. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.